Good job on your time, not so much on the joke. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Julie. The truth is the truth sometimes. Um, anyway, thanks for your report. Appreciate that. My name is Jerry Weaver. I'm an alcoholic. Sobriety July 2nd, 1989. I'm a member of a group called There's a Solution. We meet in Cary, North Carolina on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I uh, currently... Uh, Attend a meeting at Wake Correctional in uh, Raleigh, or I don't know if that's probably Garner, maybe, but um, on Wednesdays. And we're trying to um, get back into Central. Matter of fact, here's a quick, our, our topic is cooperation with the Department of Corrections. Here's a way to not, here's what not to do. I just did this a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> The folks in the Department of Corrections in North Carolina, they like to be called by their last name. They don't like you calling them by their first name. I mean, if you've been going into prisons for a while, you, you probably know that. If you don't, you do now. Well, so the, we finally got approved to do PREA training. And every time I email or communicate with Miss Hicks, I call her by her first name, Laney. I, I know she doesn't like it. And so anyway, we get there, and um, me and Susie and Tony for the training, and I say, hey, Laney, how you doing? She looked at me, and she says, it's Miss Hicks. <laughs> so call people by their last names if that's what they want to be called. It's not, it's not a good idea to ruffle feathers that quick into the process, especially when you haven't been in a few years. Um, it's okay to laugh, folks. Um, so we've got a good panel today of folks with lots of experience. We could um, probably sum cooperation up in just a, in a, probably a couple of sentences and sit down. I mean, either if you want to actually get to an alcoholic to help inside a prison, you probably should just comply and practice some patience and follow the rules. It's not, they don't always do it, so it kind of makes it hard for us to do it, but that's basically in a nutshell what, the, what we should be doing. But our first uh, panelist is going to be Steve from Coates. Thank you. I'm Steve Pope. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Sobriety dates December the 8th, 1988. Uh, awful glad my sponsor finally made it in here. I was about to text him and let him know what time the meeting started. But, uh, <laughs> kind of dealing with a resentment now. I'm looking out here and all these people got these little ribbons. I ain't got one. Uh, I went down to Olive Garden to eat lunch. And, uh, I don't want a secondhand one. But I went to Olive Garden to eat lunch. The lady come to wait on me. Hell, she had a ribbon on her. So uh, that's why I didn't wear a tie. They pissed me off. So I didn't wear a tie. But anyway, I didn't know this thing moved. Uh, I'm supposed to try to tell y'all kind of how to get along in the prisons, and I think Jerry, probably all of us can sit down. You can't say it much better than that. Um, did I start something? No, I just locked this time. Last time I was on this podium, John Blandin was up here. Uh, Tom Ivester was sitting out there about where Daniel 
He goes, there's a lot, a lot of ghosts, powerful ghosts in here. John, we got a little, had a little thing going on. John got sober with my wife back in, I think, 89 in Fayetteville. And John wanted me to sit on that side. I didn't want to sit over there. I wanted to sit over here. And all through the stuff, John telling me to come. I said, John, I ain't sitting over there. Leave me the hell alone. And, and we, I'm almost, uh, almost fussing up here about where to sit. But I miss John. John was from Alabama. He was, he was a nice old guy. If you didn't know him, you missed something. Um, I started going into prisons in 1969, <laughs> and, and that was. Uh, I know you don't think I'm that old, do you? But, but they had a mix-up. You know, computers were just coming around then, I reckon, and they lost my card. And it was two years before they let me out. <laughs> so I didn't go back again to 1989. And that was because of a sponsor who kept telling me how I ought to try to go into the prisons. And I kept telling him he was crazy. And he said, well, it would really help you. And I said, hell, I know you was crazy. I already been to the prison. It didn't help me a bit. And, <laughs> but you know, a good sponsor have it, you know, has a way of getting you to do something that's ridiculous and then make you think it's your idea. <laughs> you know? So I went and started going into Harnett in October of 89. And in some form or another, I've gone ever since. I go into Clinton Prison now on Monday night. For years, we've done it on... He's drinking out of my water. For years, we've done it on Friday night and on Sunday morning. But with, as far as the COVID, they don't have enough help for us to come in on the weekends. And that's not one of the most comforting things to hear when you're going into prison. We don't have enough help to look out for you. But uh, at least we're not going into the one where Stacy's going. So that's, man, that was a powerful thing this morning, hearing all of those. And then Stacy just, I mean, the idea of going into a place like that and the effort, it takes me about an hour and a half to go and, and come. And she's talking about a day plus the meeting. That was just, you know, that was inspiring to me. And I've been doing this a day or two. Um, one of the things, like Jerry said, I guess, uh, in my experience, the main thing about going into prison is making yourself very small. I've been going for almost 34 years. I ain't got a key yet. I don't come and go as I please. Uh, i tell you, something has happened, though, just miraculously. For years and years, we couldn't, I mean, we couldn't bring nothing into the prison, not a thing. And we started back in... I think October or November, whenever we were having the book study, we started back along in there. And, and after a little while, the guys were having a hard time getting coffee and supplies because they had to get them from the guards and out of their stash. And so they were having problems. And so I talked to the lady uh, and I asked her, I said, is there any way that we could work this out where we could bring this stuff in? And man, that's always been a no-no. And you couldn't bring nothing in. And she said, that won't be a bit of problem. And so we started taking in coffee, sugar, uh, sugar in the bags, not in the packs. You know, we're not stupid, but creamer. And um, about a month ago, we helped to get an NA group started in there. And we had to let them use our coffee because they couldn't bring coffee in. <laughs> and, uh, 
but after a while that that got smoothed out and we made you know made sure they knew that they were drinking AA coffee <laughs> so it was probably going to help their recovery you know so. but what you have to do in my experience is be patient uh, we started over at Harned and over there, when you get to the gate, I don't know what it's like now. They had a gate here, had a little guard tower, and about as you know far as I'm here to Steve, there's where the guards were at, with the key, and they just had to take like three big steps, open the gate, and you came in. But they would literally make us stand there, uh, cold, raining, whatever. And they were just doing all this and that, and we didn't say nothing. We didn't say, hey, dumbass, we're standing over here getting soaking wet. Can you open the gate? And we didn't say any of that. We kind of faked them off. We acted like we were enjoying it. We were smiling. We were cutting up and stuff. Jerry started coming with me after a few months, and we, we would just act like we were at the park or something. And after a while, they would drag over there and open the gate and even open it slowly, it seemed like, the harder it was raining. And, and then they would get the inmates to the, I don't think they call them inmates anymore, they, but, the inmates, but, but they would get them to the meeting room and very slowly. And sometimes an hour meeting, you got a 30 or 40 minutes. But what, what happened over a period of time, we didn't complain, we didn't say anything, we didn't do nothing out of the way, that 30 or 40 minutes started becoming 40 and 45. Them, them standing there watching us like monkeys in a cage, they, they got to where they'd come open the gate a little, you know, a little sooner and even bring the guys up so we could have a whole meeting. They didn't stand there and rattle the keys, peck on the windows and walk in, look around. I mean, hell, they're looking through a 10-foot glass, but they walk in the door to look around, like, what's going on, you know, you can't. But we did all the things that we believed we were supposed to do, and we didn't have much sobriety. We didn't have nobody there leading us. I guess we just had enough sense to kind of go along and, I guess, get along, for lack of a better word. But just do the things that we ought to do when we were guests somewhere. And I don't care how long you go into a prison or, or how much you think you are, this, you're a guest, period. And you're not going into a treatment center, you're not going into a hospital, you're going into a penitentiary. And first, last, and always, security trumps everything. They don't care what kind of program you got. If there's any slightest bit of trouble, you're going to leave. There ain't going to be no discussion. You know, how about we? Ain't going to be any of that. It's going to be leave or it's going to be stay longer than you want to stay. You know? <laughs> but that's just a, you have to always remember where you're at. Always. We try to carry a message of program in there, but we're carrying it into their prison. And that's just going to be first. And, you know, sometimes we've been over there before the meeting just gets started. They walk in and say, let's go. We've got to get out of here. We've got to fight, blah, blah, blah. And so we got out a lot quicker than we got in. But it's always number one. And the worst thing you can do is have an opinion in front of them. Get in your car, your truck, start home, get you a cup of coffee, have all the opinions you want. But don't have them while you're on them prison grounds. 
you know, because that's certainly going to hurt what comes next, if anything does. You know, because what what I think we lose sometimes, when did I? Yeah, just, yeah. just poke me or something. Uh, what I think we lose sometimes going into prison is for who we deal with. Uh, we think we deal with the warden. We think we deal with the program people and that stuff. And on paper, we do. Uh, they're the ones that sit and maybe cross T and dot I, get a little recognition for all the programs going on. But all the work is done by the guys carrying the keys. All the work. They're the ones that come out there when it's raining and get us. They're the ones that walk us in and walk us out. I drag the keys up, hopefully take them out of the rain. I put mine in a sandwich bag, but, but hopefully you take the keys out of the rain. But 90% uh, of the time, that's the folks you got to get along with. That's the ones you don't want to ruffle no feathers or poke the bear, whatever you want to call it. If they want to be called Mr. Ed, then call them Mr. Ed. You know, because they're the ones that's going to give you the full hour or they're not. They're going to call the guys over when they feel like it, or they're going to stop the meeting when they feel like it. You know, so those are the people that you want to show respect to and you want to show some dignity because uh, they just got a job. And most of them are far overworked and far underpaid. Uh, they don't work for us, they work for the prison, and for what little dab of taxes I pay, don't give me the right to, for us to have an opinion on what or how they do. Uh, yeah, you don't want to tell them much, you, you know, you want to ask them. Um, for I don't know how many years we went to Clinton and we followed all the rules and tried to, and we even got, excuse me, <coughs> We got to where we could have a banquet there once a year. Of course, we have to buy all the stuff. We have to cook it and bring it in. Uh, Steve has came, Tony's came, I think Jerry came as our speakers. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't do memory very well, but, but uh, what they started letting us do is bring barbecue and chicken and potatoes and baked beans. I kind of learned that it ain't always the best place to take barbecue. Somebody was talking this morning. You know, I wonder why we always had so much barbecue left. Well, there a lot of them are Muslims. Yeah, I thought, well, one night, of, you know, a year they can eat barbecue, but <laughs> I reckon not. And they wouldn't even eat the baked beans. Man, I'm thinking I'm doing all this, putting all this bacon in the baked beans. You know, green beans and boiled potatoes and chicken went quick. You know, baked beans and barbecue not so fast. But. But because of us, I think, doing as we should, doing our part, always trying to be submissive almost, not in a, you know, a way to where we're being ran over. You know, Tom used to say you always bargain out of strength, not out of, out of weakness, you know, but you also got to have something to bargain with. You know, you got to, well, I keep saying you got to. What we try our best to do is make sure they know why we're there. And we're there only for one reason, and that's to try to help, period. Uh, everything we do, and we have a book study one night. Uh, we have a daily reflections uh, one night. We have a speaker one night. And before some of you traditionals kill me, um, we have an ask it bag or a pass it bag. And we had some guys a few years ago to look in the big book and take words out of the big book, not out of the stories, 
out of the first 164 ages and write a word down. We put it in a bag, we pass it around, and you get a word out and you share on that word. Now that sounds a little silly, sounds a little first gradish, might be, but it gets the most participation as anything we do. I mean, you flat out can't go wrong. Everyone, even the, you know, the hoodlums in the back with the sunglasses, everybody gets a word and they share on it or pass, but at least they say something. And that tends to be the hardest thing to do in a prison meeting, in my experience, is get participation. You know, because if they're not participating, you know, ain't much happening. We don't try to control, because it's their group. It's a, uh, for an old group, Alberta Green was going there. I think I spoke for her and I had four years, I believe. So that group has been there a long time. Of course, she did make it plain. I told her after the meeting, or I asked her, I said, I hope I didn't say anything wrong, Miss Alberta. And she said, honey, if you had, I'd have told you to sit down. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's been there a long time. So we make it clear we're visitors to their group. Of course, we try to have a little influence. We don't allow certain things. We don't create a big, you know, if someone starts talking about drugs, we don't like get out the NA rocks and start throwing them and things. We just make it plain while we're there. You know, they're told to shut up enough. You know, we don't, you know, we don't need to reiterate what they hate. You know, a grown man hates to be talked to like a child. I guess a woman, I don't really have a lot of experience on that side, but. We ain't gonna get into all that. Well, hell, it'll take the weekend if we get to talking about marriages. But, but um, and the main thing in my experience, and I'm gonna hush here in a, in a minute. Uh, uh, when you go into a prison, I've kind of got away from the, you know, the, uh, what's it, uh, what's it called, the upper ups of the prison, because ain't so much you can say. Jerry said it all to start with. Do what you're supposed to, or leave. You know, there ain't a lot of for group consciences with what goes on in a prison, you do what they say. Uh, one thing for sure don't do is act like a convict. They don't need another homeboy. Wherever you're at, they got six or 700 of them. They don't need no sliding, no shuffling, no talking out the side of your mouth, using filthy language. They know exactly how to do that. Exactly. What they don't know is how to use principles that kind of makes them a different man or a woman. That's what we try to do. We don't say don't cuss or don't use profanity. We just ease around with our own experience of how in our group this is maybe what we do or don't do. It depends on how you're being. Um, see, let them know that you only are there for them. That's all. You're not a part of the prison. You're not a part of anything else. You're not getting paid. You know, the only reason we're there is to try to help. And that's, I mean, that covers it. The uh, uh, place where we go, we try to get one of them to chair a meeting. After a while, we didn't start with. We tried to be an example and maybe set the kind of the bar. But we try to get them to, because their group, uh, why shouldn't they participate? And one of the things that I really push, six of us go in there and five of them, I sponsor, so we got a little, you know, little pull. But I try to get the guys from the outside to sit with the guys. Now, don't sit over like this and them like that. Because we have uh, 25 is the most we can have in our meeting. 
Uh, so we have 29 chairs in a circle. I try to get them to move closer because I can't hear if they're too far apart. And, but I try to get them to sit in amongst them. We don't want it to be us and them all their life, our own experience. We know about us and them. You know, so we try to integrate and try to be a part and try just to have an AA group, an AA meeting. You know, I know some groups, the women sit together and this and that and the other. The guys are resentful because they want to sit with them and, and all that stuff. So we try not to have that. You know, we try to be a part of their group, which is why we're there. And uh, I guess the last thing I'm going to I'm going to say, and this is kind of a hard thing sometimes because it's easy to be intimidated in a prison. Uh, you know, you want to lead, but you don't want to push. And at the same time, you want to be kind, but firm if need be. Uh, I, of course, a few nights ago, we had a couple of guys, they must have had cataract surgery they had on their sunglasses, and they're, they're sitting in the back, and we're trying to have a speaker meeting, or about to, I'm chairing the meeting. They keep poking and homeboy and talking all this crap. And finally, I said, if y'all don't want to be here, leave. I mean, we're not over here for bullshit. It, it, uh, it takes us about two hours to come over here and back. If y'all don't want to be in here, it takes you 10 minutes to walk to your barracks. Go on because you're disrupting a meeting or pay attention. You know, either one you want to do now, it's up to you. They kept their sunglasses on, but they shut up. <laughs> You know, and that's kind of up to us a little bit. They can't do that. It's hard for them to police their own meeting because of where they're at. You know, they're going back into the barracks with a guy they told to hush. Well, you know, then you don't want to be a bully. But it's even like your regular home group, if you're chairing a meeting and you got somebody disrupting a meeting, somebody's you've got to tend to that. And you might be considered of whatever, but you know, it's your responsibility to keep the meeting going. So that's that's kind of a you know tough line to stay on one side of without sounding too much. But we're blessed. We have the program director, Miss Simmons is her name. And uh, <laughs> she's on the other uh, she's on the other side of the sheet. And uh, she's not sitting there with us. I guess it's like a porno movie or something, you know, she got the sheet up and she's on the other side, but don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but uh, and she don't interrupt, she don't interfere, but our job is to make sure she's not embarrassed by what she hears. You know, not for the kind of language to be to where you wouldn't want it used in your home group, uh, something you wouldn't want your mama or your sister to hear, whatever the case. Uh, so it's important to do that. Um, I'm going to tell this right quick, and I'm going to I'm going to quit because I like to tell this on Jerry when I can. Uh, years ago, we were in Hornet, and we got ready to leave, and they wouldn't let us leave. They kept counting, and they kept counting, and they kept counting, and I'm thinking, my God, take your shoes off, where you can you know count with your toes too. We, we like to go home. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it, but what had happened was Jerry had worn a shirt that was real kind of likable to their clothes. Hell, they kept counting too many people that was trying to leave. And uh, so if you go into a green clothes, don't wear a green shirt. If you go, <laughs> you go into brown, wear a red shirt, wear something colorful. That, that sounds silly, but 
It ain't silly if you're sitting in there wondering if they're going to let you out or not. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Good job. Appreciate it. Next up is Joey from Clayton. Joey Tucker, I'm alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is December 3rd of 2009. Um, I have a home group. My home group is a Cleveland 12-step group. We meet at Cleveland, uh, Oakland Presbyterian Church in Clayton. It's off Cleveland Road every Wednesday. <laughs> uh, uh, Julie's awesome. She handed me a fan when I, for when I come up here. It could be be on my face up here. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. And Jerry's going to keep me dry. Um, so, yeah, I got to get home. It's a structured home group. It's Cleveland 12-step group. We meet every Wednesday at 7 at Oakland Presbyterian Church. And, uh, and I love, you know, I love structured groups. I used to hate structure. But, uh, but I need that. I need that in my life. I always, always did well in structure and uh, in sports and stuff like that and, and in prison. <laughs> did pretty good in prison. I only got right up twice. So, <laughs> so uh, I did pretty good in structure. And I never, I always hated structure. I didn't want to follow no rules. But uh, what I realized over time is, is uh, you know, structure is, is, is solution based on failure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, having this structure in my life is because other people have tried other ways and failed. And, uh, and so it, it it truly helps me. I like having a structured group. We stick to, you know, stick to the traditions, stick to the principles of AA, and and uh, it serves me well. So, so yeah. Um, uh, before I forget, there's a poster up here. It's "Pass It On, Will Do," and that's from uh, Johnston Correctional. We brought it up here. So, uh, if you guys can sign it, man, that would really it make me happy and it make those guys happy over there. So. I would appreciate it. Um, these guys, they were excited. Uh, Aldo, well, you know, I called him Robert Figley, but his, his name's Aldo, I guess because he stole cars. I don't know what it was, but but he he did all the drawing on that thing, man, and he was excited about it. So, uh, so I'd appreciate it, guys. Um, so, well, first of all, I was a bad drunk. Um, I started drinking at 12 because I didn't like the way I felt. Uh, you know, and I had I had what uh, what most of us get in here is uh, you know as soon as I started drinking I felt unified with the universe I felt like I was a part of everybody else whereas before that I didn't so I I chased it as far as I could possibly chase it I uh, you know immediately I started I started acting out and getting in trouble and drinking too much and sneaking out and and uh, and doing all the things we do and and as soon as I I mean I was doing other stuff too obviously I. You know, I got seven felonies and three misdemeanors when I was 17 years old. So I was, I was, I was doing a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. I grew up in that house, so it was a lot of violence and, and drug dealing and uh, just a c crazy life. And and so I took to that, and I, I didn't break the cycle. You know, I was that guy. I, I followed in the footsteps of, of Daddy, and uh, and so. 
you know, I should have realized I was a, I was an alcoholic at 16. Um, I was skipping school. It was lunchtime. It was about lunchtime. I was skipping school and driving a, a car I bought with illegal money, and uh, and I had skipped school. I was taking off. I was completely drunk. I was almost in a blackout, and uh, I guess I, I blacked out around a corner, and um, it ran into a guardrail, and I, you know, I crushed that little car that I bought. I mean, I... I sold a lot of dope to get that car, you know, so it was, uh, but it was my car. So um, anyway, I crashed into a guardrail, turned it into a piece of pizza. And, and when the, the cop asked me for my license and registration, I handed him my 1.5 rolling papers. <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, I was, I was in bad shape at 16 years old. I, I lost a scholarship. I did pretty well in sports, and, and I, I kept it in the road with my grades and, uh, and had a scholarship that I lost due to this, this deal. You know, they, I don't know, they woke me up in third period and decided to, to uh, you know, search my car and search my vehicle and, and all this stuff. And, of course, I had a lot of stuff in there that I, I wasn't supposed to have. I got expelled from school, and I lost a scholarship. And uh, so it started real young for me, but I, you know, I'm a soldier. I pushed on for a long time before I got sober. Uh, I mean, I, I pushed on, and uh, I pushed on through it. You know, they say alcoholics are weak. Man, we t I'm going to tell you what, I took a lot of stuff before I surrendered to this deal. So uh, a lot of stuff. So I had a bunch of charges when I, you know, 17 years old. I moved out of the house at 16, um, which the house was crazy anyways. And uh, and I I had a bunch of charges at 17. Um, I didn't go to prison that time. I actually got a, a year task felony program, and they wanted me to to do a lot of um, crazy stuff like you know work and go to school. And, <laughs> and I just uh, I ended up failing that and going to prison for my first time at a, at a very young age. And uh, and what happened after that is I you know I got out of there, and and I'd always you know, think about Coronas and steak, and uh, I'd get out and start on Coronas and steak, and three days later be Oodles and Noodles and Wild Irish Rose, you know, <laughs> just crazy, but uh, so, but this ended up happening to me, so I'd rack up a bunch of charges and I'd write a bunch of failure to appears, and either I'd, uh, I'd get caught and, and I'd go to jail. And, and what normally happened is uh, I'd go ahead and plead guilty as quick as I possibly could because prison is so much better than jail that I was just excited about going to prison. <laughs> I mean, it was just, that's how it was. But this ended up happening a, a bunch of times, and uh, and it just got worse and worse. I became homeless, and, you know, I started stealing a lot of stuff. I I taught poor women into let me move in with them and sell their prescription drugs while they were they were working, and, and, uh, and that was my, my life, man. I was just a, a leech on society. Well, the last time that I that I went to prison, um, I ended up uh, having a, uh, what I say is a spiritual experience on the way to prison. I I was on the bus and I could actually see myself. Before this, I you know I could justify everything that I had ever done in my life. You know, it was always somebody else's fault. The world was against me. I had bad parents. Uh, the cops were dirty. I mean, just whatever, <laughs> right? But uh. But I was on the way to prison for my last time, and, and I was 30 years old. 
and uh, and I could actually, for some reason, I could actually see myself for exactly who I was. I seen what kind of person that I had become. I seen that I was a guy that would steal from my mama, steal from my grandparents, steal from my family, steal from other people's family, steal from anybody, just to get what I needed, just to get by, just to make it another day, and and uh, and didn't care about another soul on this planet, and uh, and it just disgusted me, disgusted me who I become. Um, but that didn't stop me. So, <laughs> you know, I got into jail and I started I started doing the same thing that that, uh, that a lot of us do in prison. And I was, you know, trading honey buns for Ativans and <laughs> just stuff like that. And and then um, I met about three guys, and all of them were from Raleigh, or this area, or Raleigh Raleigh area. And uh, I was from Wilmington, and. Uh, and all of them started talking to me about AA and about uh, a treatment center that was in Raleigh and and, uh, and changing their life in this way. And Now, I had already been to AA a couple of times. First time I ever went to AA, I was in prison in Wilmington at 025, and, and I seen some people walking across the yard with pizza and sodas. So, yeah, I'm going to go to AA. <laughs> you know, they, they were having a party over there. I mean, it was <laughs> – so – but what I did notice about these people were um, – I went in there, I got my pizza and my soda, and that's all I was worried about. But they would shake my hand and ask me how I was doing and listen. You know, now now that's a huge deal because most of the time how you doing is a, I mean, it's just a statement. It's not a question, you know. When you meet somebody, how you doing, it's a statement. Um, but I found out in AA that that was a question, and that was a serious question. Like, they really wanted to know what was going on. So, so that was my first experience at 21 um, with AA. I mean, I didn't get sober till 31, so <laughs> do the math. Um, so the last time, so I started going to meetings. Um, I started going to meetings in, in prison, and uh, Andrew, Joe's old sponsor, Andrew, man, he, you know, he died not last February, but the February before last. i tell you what, man, you know, he didn't say a whole lot in that meeting, but he came into those meetings, him and another guy named Mike, and they'd just sit there. Every once in a while they'd share, but they'd sit in the same seats every single week, right? And they'd come in every single week. They'd drive to get there. You know, they'd go through the process to get in there. <coughs> so, uh, excuse me. So, I started feeling a little bit different about this deal. I was like, well, you know, what's going on? But, uh, so I got into it, man. I'd sit in a day room and another guy, um, he he started reading me the big book. You know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know he was taking me through the steps, but he was reading me the big book. He started reading it, reading it to me, and he didn't, I mean, he was trying to trick me into doing the steps, what he was doing, but uh, but I didn't realize it. And uh, But I got out, man, and I went to a treatment center here in Raleigh because I feel like that's got, you know, there in Raleigh. And, and went through it, man, and I was introduced to, to structured AA. I had never had that before. And I was in, introduced to uh, true home groups. You know, I had never had that before. I sat in the back of the room, I got there five minutes early, and I'd, I'd take off, man, and I'd go get drunk. <laughs> I mean, that's just what happened. But this was different. Well, the first time I ever thought about getting involved in prisons, man, I was at that treatment center, and Dean come to pick us up. I had actually... <laughs> 
I'd actually about got in a fight with another guy in there, and they put us on what they called a buddy band. So I was, <laughs> I was stuck to this guy that I about got in a fight with for three days, right? I had to, I mean, well, wait outside the bathroom while I used the bathroom. It was just horrible. <laughs> but, but, uh, but Dean come to get us, man, and he took us to principal's group. But, but on the way, man, he stopped by Way Correctional, and, uh, and now I had just gotten out. You know, I had just gotten out of uh, Noose. And and I was like, what in the world are we doing? You know, <laughs> he's pulling up into the to the prison. He take me back back to jail, and I watched him. Now he got out, and you know, and I was like, this guy seems pretty normal. Is he a CO or something? Like, what? <laughs> is he a corrections officer? Uh, but he walked in the gate, man, and uh, and walked out with an inmate. You know, the inmate jumped in his car with us, and uh, and took us to principal's group, man. But what really changed my life was I'd already been a little bit introduced to, to structured AA, and I, I knew about helping people. Like, this had been ingrained in me since I got sober, helping people, helping people, helping people. And what Dean said on that trip there was what changed my perception and what, what my, my AA life would look like from that point on. He was talking to him, and, and Buzz don't mind me saying it. He was like, Buzz, when's the last time you cooked a steak? Now, uh, Buzz had been sober. I mean, Buzz had been locked up for 22 years, right? So he was like, I don't know, Dean, I guess 25 years ago. He said, well, I talked to Miss Blunt. Dean said, well, I talked to Miss Blunt, and uh, I got you a pass on your birthday. I want you to come to my house and cook us a steak. And I, <laughs> it changed the way that I looked at, at, at what I was ever going to do, you know? Um, from that point on, man, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I started trying to get into prison. It took me a little while. I got a lot of violent, a lot of crazy stuff on my record, and uh, but I finally got into Wake. You know, I went through the steps with a sponsor. I started sponsoring other men, started helping people like crazy, uh, starting meetings. I mean, just going crazy with this stuff. I was on fire, and uh, and so I started going into Wake Correctional. Well, going in there like the first time, it was just crazy. I felt. So I immediately went into the uh, leave me alone face right when I went into the door, right? Like my face got all hard, like, uh, and I went in there and sat down. I didn't say anything during the meeting. I was all tough, right? And uh, <laughs> so, but as soon as I walked out of there, something changed in me. Like uh, I walked out that gate, and I know it sounds funny because you can walk out, right? But something really did change inside of me. It's like, man, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to do something. I'm here to do something, not for me, but for these guys, you know? And uh, and so I, I got a passion. I got a passion and I got on fire for it. So I started taking guys out there. And, and here's where I'm gonna try to tie into cooperation with corrections, because it's kind of hard to tie it in with my story. I mean, shoot, I, I had to cooperate up until this point with corrections my whole life, right? In and out of prison. But, uh, but now it changed you know I wasn't having to deal with the caseworkers on the inside I wasn't having to deal with the CEOs on the inside I was having to deal with them on the outside right I was coming in to help people <coughs> and immediately you know I got a chip on my shoulder I'm like man I'm coming here to help people y'all need to be here for me <laughs> you know and uh it wasn't like that you know there's probably and 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 this sounds harsh but probably one out of five of the people that work there really feel about feel like they can make a difference the rest of them are collecting paychecks right and uh and that's under, i mean that's understandable a lot of people got to have jobs I, not knocking it at all but uh 
But what happens when we go into prisons is they got to do extra work. You know, they got to go back. They got to get the inmates. They got to get them ready. They got to make them set up the meeting. They got to do all this other stuff. They got to check us in. They got to search us. They got to, you know, so, <clears throat> so what we do essentially in their minds is make their job harder, right? And, and I mean, it makes sense from the outside looking in, but um, so, you know, I started taking guys out on CV passes, and, and, and what that means is, as bad as my record is, you know, all the, all the in and out of prison that I've been my whole life, five rehabs, you know, they treated me like a, a, a prison guard. They'd let a guy in prison, in minimum custody, get, leave the facility with me and go somewhere else, right? I mean, I don't know if that's good or not, really, but it's a, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I knew, that. I knew it was God working in my life for sure, but uh, but they did. And, and, and so I, I started taking out three guys a week, man. So, so what that entails is this, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a little difficult. Like, it's a lot of stuff, right? Uh, I'm getting kind of short, but uh, it's a lot of stuff. It's... Um, you got to turn in a CV pass to a certain email every, you know, and, and sometimes they change the email up on you. <laughs> you got to email here sometimes and like, hold on, man, you might need to email this to this address over here for a while. So three times a week, I had to fill out a CV pass, tell them exactly when I was leaving the prison, exactly where I was going to. And I'd take them to McDonald's because, I mean, I don't know, McDonald's is... It was cheap for me. I wasn't making a whole lot of money. Still ain't making a whole lot of money, but I wasn't making hardly any money then. So I'd take the guys to McDonald's because it was a treat for them, right? And then I'd take them to an AA meeting, and then I'd take them back. Well, they'd get on there and GPS the time that it took for me to get from where I had to go to McDonald's, and I had to put that specific time on the CV pass, right? And if it was a little bit off, I mean, they could deny it. So my CV passes kept getting kicked, and I'd, I'd call up there and be like, what's the problem this time? What's the problem? <laughs> and so it started being I was exactly perfect on all of it, and uh, it was their problem. Like, they were having problems with uh, getting it done right. You know, this person didn't do what he was supposed to do, and that person didn't do what they were supposed to do. So, <laughs> so I'll tell you what not to do. Like I said, at this point, I was going in there. I was helping people. They, they needed me there, <laughs> right? That's what I felt like. So, uh, so I sent a letter to the CV coordinator, like telling her to call me. She called me up, and I said, "What's going on with these CV passes, you know, Miss Blunt?" And uh, she said, "Well, we're just having a, you know a couple troubles here and there." And and then she she got a little smart with me because I I sent her an email and asked her to call me, <laughs> and I said, "Well, what it looks like to me is somebody's inefficient at doing their job." Ooh, like that was <laughs> so. Let me go ahead and tell you, that was not what I needed to do right there, right? So <clears throat> that, was, that was the wrong way to handle that. Um, so what happened is for one year, <laughs> one year to the day, she made it as hard as possible for me to take them guys out, for me to get in there, for me to do any of that stuff. So about six months into it, what I started doing was doing what we need to be doing as far as cooperation with, with the corrections, right? I started going up to her and asking her how her day was, right? Every time I seen her, how you doing, Miss Blunt? What's going on with you? <laughs> you know, you look nice today. I mean, <laughs> whatever. I mean, whatever it took. And I, and I got to know her a little bit. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, you know, she started, 
she started having my back. Now, I went in that facility for six years. She started having my back. Like, if I threw something out there and the CV pass wasn't quite right or something like that, she would, uh, she'd fix it for me. We'd be like, all right, come on through. I mean, because of the way that I was treating her at that point, the way that I should have treated her from the beginning, right? And I really should have, but, uh, but they needed me there, right? <laughs> uh, so, um, but so that's that's one way not to not to take on that stuff. And and I'm gonna tell you, it's you know it's uncomfortable sometimes working in corrections. It's there's a lot of paperwork and and um, well I'll, I'll tell you like this. My sponsor says it all the time. It's form over substance instead of substance over form. What I mean by that is you know. If a guy comes in, he's crawling up the walls, you know. I'm going to get him through the first three steps first time I meet him and put him into the fourth step, right? But if a guy comes in, he's got a little bit of level head, I'm going to start reading a book with him and go through the, through the steps through the book slowly but surely. But what that is is substance over form. You know, I, I do what's needed at the time, right? Well, in the prison system, it's always form over substance. So they're going to do it letter to the T because of CYA, and you guys know what CYA is. So bureaucracy is, is a thing that I'm not very good at. So um, as of now, so I'm going to tell you what happened, and it really frustrated me. I went into prison for six years at Wake Correctional. Two minutes, I'm going to get out of here. So six years, and, I, and what ended up happening is uh, I got denied after six years. Well, nobody would answer my calls. Nobody would call me back. I went up there to talk to them. I couldn't get in touch with nobody. Just all of a sudden, I couldn't get back into the prison. And, uh, and I was talking to Jerry yesterday, and I said, sometimes cooperation with, <laughs> with the Department of the Corrections is moving on to another correction center, right? <laughs> because I don't know what happened there, and, and, and nobody can tell me what happened. It just completely changed, and, uh, and I couldn't get back in there. So now I go into Johnston Correctional, and I also go into uh, the county jail at Wake over on Hammond Road. And uh, I go in there on Wednesdays, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's hard. At first, I made it a complete commitment. Um, there's 1,200 people in this jail, right? I mean, how many of them people do you think has alcoholism? I ain't good at At least 120 as statistics go, right? <laughs> So there's, there's two people that come in with six volunteers. I mean, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard. And it's right in the middle of the day on Wednesdays. So what I started doing with that is coming when I could. You know, I got, we got really solid members taking, taking some meetings in there. And, and uh, so, so that one, I didn't make a complete commitment. Well, I actually fell back, and I make it a somewhat commitment. But... Only because there's two people there, there's four volunteers, and it's right in the middle of the day. Now, the Johnston thing is, is coming along awesome, and we just, me, Miguel, Randy, and, and Wake had a meeting this morning about getting a big book study where we're going to be able to take all them guys through the steps. And, uh, and we got, you know, everything we needed locked down on that. And, and it's just, it's awesome. It's a good deal. But one thing we're going to do is make it as easy as possible on the corrections department, <laughs> right? We're going to make it as easy as possible on them. And that's one of the things that I, that I try to do. Now I've learned through experience that's the best way to do it, and I've also learned that telling them that immediately, like what can I do to make this easier? What can we do to get in here and help these people and still make it easy as possible on you? And, and that always helps, and that's been my experience with this stuff. It always helps. So.
Thank you guys for listening. Joey, thank you. Good job. Next up is Susie from Raleigh. Susie Spear Alcoholic. I just found out they let Joey in the Wake County Jail and they won't let me in. His record is worse, I'm pretty sure. They denied me. Uh, my sobriety date is October 23rd, 2012. I have a home group. It is the Their Solution. There is a solution group in Cary. We meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, love my home group. I have a sponsor. Have some service positions, all that kind of stuff. But I do want to say that the most important service that I do. This is all great. Happy to be here. Thank you for asking me to be up here. Um, the most important service that I do is sitting down with one alcoholic to another. And the women that took meetings into the correctional facilities where I was housed, they did that. You know, they brought those meetings in there and they shared um, hope with all of us that were incarcerated. So thank you to everyone that brought meetings in. Um, and that takes meetings in anywhere. Uh, I will say that Miss Hicks, I think she, she likes being called Laney by Jerry. I think she likes it. Uh, <laughs> It seemed like a like a thing, you know, that they have going on. So he wasn't going to say that, but I'm going to say it. I think it's a thing. And she let us in for PREA training, so that's all great. Um, you know, I I'm an alcoholic of a of a hopeless variety. And when I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous, I had only been drinking. You know, I heard a lot of people up here, and I can relate to almost everything that that someone has said, and I only drank for about five years. Uh, that doesn't mean that I didn't drink enough. That, didn't, that doesn't mean that you spilled more than I drank, you know? Uh, I'm a real alcoholic, and, you know, I got here. I committed some crimes. I'd, I had been in a car accident, and the way that I drank was as much as I could, any time that I could. My whole life revolved around it, you know, my work schedule, just everything, you know, it was alcohol. And I was a blackout drinker from the start. I started drinking at 20. And I was a blackout drinker from the start, and I loved that. I was drinking moonshine, and I was like, this is the ticket. I want a blackout, and just whatever happens, happens. I don't care. Um, and so when I moved to North Carolina from East Tennessee, you know, I, I thought that East Tennessee was the problem. My boyfriend at the time was the problem, and I moved to North Carolina. And, you know, I'd only lived here for a few months, and I was going to rehab. I was going to treatment because I'd been in a car accident, and I'd hit two people that were walking in their neighborhood um, when I was drinking. And I can tell you that the way I was drinking, I know that day I was off work. I was going to see my dad to help him with something so that I felt better about myself because I'd been ignoring my dad for months. And... Uh, I know I drank that morning. I know I drank while I was there helping my dad. I can't tell you how much because I just drank as much as I needed to by that point. Um, so my first introduction to corrections facilities was, you know, I'd never been in trouble before. I was 24 years old and I was in jail. And, you know, I was only in jail for one night and I ended up um, getting bailed out by my family 
and going to treatment, and that's where I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, was in treatment. Treatment was great. It was fine. Uh, I'm sober today because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because women took meetings into the facilities where I was housed. Uh, I can tell you that with certainty. So I was in prison for about a year, and a lot of people will say, like, oh, you only did a year. Those, those people who have never been incarcerated will say that. People who were incarcerated are like, wow, how'd you get out so early? Like, did you work down your time? And the answer is yes. Uh, but while I was incarcerated, women brought meetings into the maximum security prison where I was housed. And I knew that they were from a good group in Raleigh. And when they found out, you know, that I'd had a home group for a few months prior to going to prison, you know, they would call on me or ask me to read or ask me to share, and I hated that, but they were there every week. And one of the women who brought the, brought the meetings in there was pregnant. She's here today, and she was pregnant at the time. And I just remember thinking, like, lady, isn't there someone else that can come in here? Like, you're pregnant, and what are you doing? You're putting your child in harm's way. And I was just, like, so delusional. I had no idea. Uh, what it really meant uh, to do 12-step work. So thank you to those women that, that did that, because my sponsor at that time was also pregnant, and I just could never imagine. Um, but they were there consistently, and they shared a message of hope. They shared a message um, of being recovered while I was there, and I could feel that, and I knew that. You know, those women didn't come in there, try to act hard. You know, I don't think any of them had been incarcerated. Uh, or if they had, maybe brief intervals. And even if they had, that's not what I remember about them. What I remember is that they came in there and they talked about the steps and any questions I had, they would answer them. And they encouraged me to sponsor other women and to continue on this path and help others. So... Uh, after I got out of prison, I worked all 12 steps while I was incarcerated. You can do that. I did a lot of it through the mail. I preferred to do it in person, you know, but there were times that the facilities would not let the volunteers in or I couldn't use the phone. And I had a book, and Alcoholics Anonymous is a book, and so I had that. And I was able to work the steps and try to help others uh, when I didn't have the opportunity is to sit down face to face with someone. So after I got out of prison, you know, you have to be off of paper before you can try to go back in. And I used that excuse for as long as I could. And then after that excuse was done, you know, I said, well, I'm, I told myself and others, I was never told this. I cannot stress that enough. But I decided that because the facility where my sponsor at that time was taking a meeting and that's where I had been incarcerated. It's a maximum security facility. And I said, they're not going to let me in there because I lived there. And I used that excuse for a while. Um, that was made up. It sounded right to me, but it wasn't true. And eventually I started submitting paperwork and I had so much fear about going back into the facility because I had tried to put that behind me. I didn't want anyone to know for a while where I'd been or that I'd been incarcerated. I just wanted to forget it. And at some point, you know, either my sponsor or someone else at the time said, hey, you're not hearing those stories because you're not telling your experience. Uh, and then I was able to come to something like this. Uh, but finally, I got a blue card. And what I can tell you about that experience is 
you know, I didn't know that there were any hurdles to doing service work in prisons at all because I was so busy trying to make excuses why I couldn't do it. I wasn't listening to anyone saying, hey, it's actually really difficult and you've submitted your paperwork and didn't hear any of that because all I knew one day I had a blue card in my mailbox and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to actually like take this meeting in here. And I, that was not my plan. So over the years of doing that kind of pre 2020, there were hurdles, you know, it's either the staff rotation, don't want to let you in. It's everything you've heard. It's raining, uh, you know, who knows? There's not enough staff. There's too many staff members there that day. Like you just, you never know. So there are always so many hurdles and you may get in there and have a 10 minute meeting and have to leave. But it was such a joy to go and do that and to be able to go back into that facility, uh, especially because I was housed there for the bulk of my stay uh, in prison system. It was just such a joy to be able to do that you know, to give back the way the women had given to me. And I still see all of those women in meetings in Raleigh. And, you know, I see them and it just like, it always reminds me like, wow, this is like really full circle. I hope someone else gets out of prison and can show up here too. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but, you know, everything shut down in 2020. And um, the facility where I go is NCCIW. It's in Raleigh. It's the maximum closed security camp. And... You know, they said, okay, we're going to shut down for a little while. We all know how that went. But they did offer the current blue card holders to keep their blue cards active through email. So for maybe like a year, we kept them active through email. That was really easy. It was probably the best pre training I've ever been to because it was like non-existent. Just fill the paperwork out. Uh, so that was great. And then they started having just renewal only uh, through Zoom, that was getting a little more difficult. You know, they, they were making sure that you were someone that had been previously certified. So that was like more email trading back and forth. And then late 2021, I got a couple emails saying, hey, you know, we're thinking about maybe next year trying to, trying to have an AA meeting. And so I said, you know what, that sounds great. Let's do it. I'm in, just let me know when. And months went by and there's another recertification and I would check in back and forth and the staff changed. You know, they just were not interested. So my experience with cooperating with the prisons are that they're going to do everything last minute, in my opinion, in my experience. You know, they're going to wait until... They absolutely have to have this AA meeting again before they have it. And that was what happened. We traded several emails probably the whole year. January 22 rolls around. I get that email again like, hey, let's recertify. We're, we really want to have this AA meeting. I said, great, just let me know when and I'll work my schedule around when the prison can have the meeting. And several months go by, you know, it's just, yeah, we want to have it. Well, we're trying to figure it out. Well, could you do this time? Just, no, we want a different time. And just keep, it's really easy for me to keep my cool through email. Because I can just, you know, I can ask a lot of you, hey, how does this sound? Does this really sound passive aggressive? Or does this just sound like I'm trying to relay the information? Um, 
And so when we started having, you know, the phone calls about maybe trying to do it, that I had a, a little trouble. But eventually they said, hey, we want you to come back in. Here's a start date. And I said, that is amazing. And there were a couple of us that kept our, kept our cards active. So what I will tell you, what I have learned is cooperation means that I showed up to the gatehouse for three months every Monday at 8.45 a.m., which is maybe 10 minutes from my house, okay? So everyone who drives hours, God bless you. I drive 10 minutes, so I'm not complaining at all. But I would show up there for three months and not get let into the facility at all. And the gatehouse staff, you know, they're short-staffed, yes. The staff was rotating quite a bit. And, you know, it was, we don't have a memo. We can't get a hold of the department you're going to. You know, I would go to my car and call the numbers that I had and go back. And it was just for three months. And they saw me continue to show up every single Monday at 8.45. And I called many of you after those meetings to vent my frustrations. <laughs> but what I did not do was vent my frustrations with the staff. Um, and, you know, I remember one time very plainly that the, you know, the gatehouse staff would not let me in. And I said, can you please, can you please, I want the department to know that I am here. You know, I've been showing up. I don't want them to think, they've asked me to be here. I have a blue card. I have every credential you've asked for. I just don't want them to think that I didn't show up. And so finally they relented and said, we'll call. And the staff member who was my contact person, you know, 10 minutes later, she's like running out of the gatehouse and she said, I am so sorry. You know, like they, they won't accept the memo that I have for you. We're taking this to the warden. Like we're, we're going to get this worked out. And although I was really irritated, you know, I said, thank you so much for taking your time to walk out here and tell me that. You know, I have been here every single Monday, and I appreciate you coming out here, you know, to, to talk to me. And what happened through that is we did have to put in an entirely new kind of system and have our memo go to the warden. You know, she was able to say, hey, this woman has been here every single Monday. She hasn't complained. She is ready to go, and they're just not letting her in. And so through that, we have a new system. So now I have a memo that's good for an entire year. What also happened through that is I started to be able to go to the meeting space. So for maybe, I don't know, four or five Mondays after that, I made it through the gatehouse to the meeting space, but we still didn't have a meeting. Um, you know, we just couldn't quite figure out how to get the the alcoholics that were interested in AA to the meeting space. And so I would just sit there in silent meditation, you know, just thank you so much, higher power, God, for bringing me here. You know, you can't have a cell phone. You can't have some grapevines sometimes. So I'd just flip through the grapevines and read those. Um, but it was very challenging. I don't want to make too light of it because I was internally enraged, you know? Like, God, now I'm in the meetings phase and we still can't have this. I'm like, all you have to do is announce the meeting. You know, like this just seems normal to me. Um, and so after several weeks of that, you know, we came to the conclusion that maybe people needed to be assigned to AA because they couldn't leave their jobs. and 
you know, ad infinitum of things that happened. But eventually, we finally were able to have an AA meeting. And the women who came to that meeting, you know, a couple of them uh, live in the mental health building. And they said, we could see you walk in every Monday. We were like, oh, that's Susie. Like, we just saw you walking in, and we were thinking, like, we, we can't go to the AA meeting. That's so weird. I wonder why. Um, so they had seen me there. Uh, you know, also, with the, the staff has never, since I've been going, this may have been different over several years' time, but they never sit in their room when we have an AA meeting. You know, they just say, have your meeting, bye. Uh, they don't care. And I think that that is probably due to the women who went in before me for years and years and years who really set up, you know, that relationship and that expectation that Alcoholics Anonymous is, means business when they're there and they're not going to be doing any funny business. Um, so once again, I greatly appreciate all those women that have set that up. However, you know, there have been several things, especially lately with the staff, they ask us that whoever is cleared and has a blue card, that you not write with any of the offenders, the alcoholic offenders in there. And I stick true to that. I follow every rule to a T, even if I don't agree with it, even if I think it is stupid, even if I'm not worried about my safety, I know those rules are put in place for a reason. And Alcoholics Anonymous, any kind of function that is able to happen at the prison is not their primary concern. I think it has been set up here already that security is the number one concern. And I don't ever want to put the AA meeting in jeopardy because I think I know better than the prison staff. You know, I always want to make sure that I am following their rules. And, you know, they may tell me what the prison allows. And I'm able to kind of explain to them what AA maybe needs to function better. And at some point, we can kind of come more toward the middle. Recently, probably the last four meetings, um, they've decided to add like three extra counts. So if you're not familiar, you get counted when you're incarcerated and you get to just sit where you are. And they've added several extra counts. And one of the new counts is during the meeting time. So typically, you know, pre going back in for the last year, they wouldn't even escort us into the meeting space if they were in count time. Now, because I have been going back in for almost a year now, they know me. I get in the gatehouse, and, I mean, they're clicking the door unlocked before I even arrive to it. You know, they see me coming with my little blue book, and they're like, okay, she's here. And I open the door, and, you know, the staff rotation that I prefer uh, are like, hi, hi, Suzanne. You know, they know my name because I have been going in there so consistently. And they told me not to wear jeans anymore. So I don't wear jeans. You know, like cooperating to me means I don't say, I've been able to wear jeans for the past five years when I come in here. I just say, you know, well, did the dress code change? Can I get a copy of it? Please let me, I'll wear whatever you want me to. I don't care. I'm not going to wear any jewelry. I'm going to make it as simple as possible to get through the metal detector, to get patted down, to go down to my meeting space. And, you know, so they're, they're happy to see me. They're like, wow, you're here every week. We can't believe it. Like, why do you do this? Um, and I'm able to give them some information, you know, about Alcoholics Anonymous. 
so typically they would not escort me down to the meeting space, but I, because I've been going so consistently and I'm respectful to them, you know, they're happy. If they call my meeting contact and that person does not answer, one of the guards in the gatehouse is like, I'll take you. Let's go. Like, this is great. I think it, it may help slightly. Most of them are men. So I think they're just like happy to just take a little walk and just like have a little chat with me as we walk down to the meeting space. But I'll, I roll with it. That's totally fine by me. Um, so they do have a new count and I haven't been able to have a meeting in four weeks. And you know, the other thing about cooperating with the staff is I go in there and I sit alone for an hour and a half because I will wait out the entire meeting time and then I'll wait a little bit longer just in case they get out of count and I can kind of catch them on my way out so they know I was there. I've started leaving grapevines. The prison will allow me to take in grapevines and leave them for the women if I'm not able to have the meeting. So, I mean, they used to not even allow us to bring grapevines in. Amazing. So they allow me to do that. And, um, you know, I made some comments. You know, I have an hour and a half to sit there and meditate. And the staff will come in and talk to me. And they're like, why are you still here? Like, we can escort you out. You're going to be long gone and home by the time we're out of this count. And I just, you know, I reiterate to them, like, this is important. Women brought this meeting to me when I was incarcerated here. And if there's anything that we can do to get around this count, like we can move the meeting time, we can move the day, please just let me know. And I wasn't making too much headway with that, but I made sure to go up the chain of command properly. So I talked to the, the people you know, that I see routinely, and then I sent an email and copied the warden that I've met several times. Um, copied the warden on it, just like, hey, we seem to be running into this count. You know, is there any way, hey, let's start the meeting at 8.30. We can start it earlier, and we can just be in count, you know, while this meeting is going on. And I threw out a couple other suggestions. But, you know, one of the replies to that email that I was able to see was, hey, you know, she is here every Monday, and she will sit in that room by herself, get it all ready, just alone for an hour and a half you know basically like she has no life like what is going on <laughs> but you know I want that was one of the replies and so I did get an email since I've been here from the warden saying hey anything we can do you know let's do it yes let's change the meeting time let's have a meeting and kind of see you know what we may think will work better on a trial basis basically until they get rid of this extra count and you know, I'm so happy that I have learned from you all how to not just like totally lose my mind because there are plenty of times that I want to be like, I've been showing up here, you know, like I do everything the way you asked me to, every, every little thing you want I do and like we still are not having this meeting, but uh, because you all listen, I don't say that to the staff and you know, at some point, they really start to see, like, okay, <laughs> we thought that extra count would be over by now. It's not. Let's change the meeting time. I'm sure that's, like, what is actually going on behind closed doors. Um, I also, you know, have been told several times, and I think it's been mentioned up here, about, you know, how to conduct the meeting, how not to conduct the meeting. Like I said, the staff is never in the meeting with us. 
you know, they say, okay, there's a room, have at it, do whatever you want. But they have asked, you know, several times just the way that this prison functions is that you not be too familiar <laughs> with the offenders, which is kind of impossible when you're an AA member and you're like, you're telling them your life story. So, you know, I do talk closely with the staff about what AA is and what we're trying to do. And we ran into a little bit of trouble as we've been going through the steps of, you know, these women started getting to their fifth steps. You know, I'm at, they're working with each other. They're sponsoring each other. But, you know, there's always, like, those few things that they're like, you know, I, I can't tell another inmate this because, like, they're going to use it against me. And, what you know, my experience when I was incarcerated is, like, no one cared or used anything against me. But my experience is not everyone's experience. And, you know, I did talk closely with the staff, like, hey, is there any way that we can kind of have the meeting going on and these women can – I gave them a brief rundown of what the fourth and fifth steps looked like. So is there any way that they can just tell me the one thing they can't tell anyone else? You know, y'all currently do not have a chaplain. Uh, you do not have any church services going on. AA, for a long time until this year, was the only – extracurricular activity that they were having and I said you know there's just not really any options right now and so they cleared that kind of for a one time and I don't abuse that I don't say like from now on everyone give me your fifth step and like who cares what the rules are you know I make sure to let them know hey we got this cleared as kind of a one-time thing and when we get back around to the fifth step we may have to adjust. Maybe you all will feel more comfortable with one another. Maybe we will have more uh, people that are able to come in here by then. You know, my hope is that we're able to get more women blue cards soon. And I also believe that that is something that's going to happen. Um, I went to the training at Central to get my, you know, everyone's talking about these cards that have your picture on them and all. I've never had that, you know, like NCCIW, they just like don't care. But I was able to go and I'm like, oh, this could be, you know, I'm just going to show up with my card and my photo on it. You know, the gatehouse people are going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but it didn't come in time, you know, and I let them know. I said, hey, I went and I, got, I went to this training. I know y'all want me to come to this other blue card training because my card expires, but this one's is coming soon, and they were just like, ma'am, uh, your card expires, so like, show up to the training or don't come back in anymore. And I was like, okay, I'll be there. And, you know, at the training, thank God that I went. You know, my best ideas don't get me anywhere. Thank God I went to that training because I saw several of the, um, we'll say, religious uh, heads of churches and things that I'd met at Central who were in there getting their blue cards also, at this training for NCCIW, and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, who are you? And I was able to talk to them and tell them I'm with Alcoholics Anonymous, tell them a little bit about my story. They told me a little bit about their story. And hopefully, you know, now I will be able to send these women to them um, within the facility when they're ready to do a fifth step. You know, so that was awesome. And I was able to talk to some more of the staff members that I don't get to see all of the time and just say, hey, we have a lot of women that want blue cards that are new women who want to come in here and do this service. Like, can we have a new blue card training, please? And I have been assured 
that we can. Now, I've been assured of a lot doing service in prison, and don't, listen, do not rush me after this because it could be six months or a year. It could be next month. And, you know, if you're interested, the meeting is on Mondays, probably from 8.30, currently from 9.30 to 10.30. Um, and I would love to have some more, some more women go with me, be able to go through the training. Um, so what I've learned in a nutshell is the staff changes a lot. I had one good contact over the last probably year and a half. I'm emailing him. He's awesome. He comes to the gatehouse. I mean, it's awesome. And he's escorting me out one day, I don't know, six months ago, and he's like, look, Miss Susie, I got to, and he's like a, you know, six, four, big black man, you know, just the nicest man I've ever met, but we just look like the odd couple, you know, he's like, listen, I gotta, I gotta tell you something, and I was like, what, Mr. Bryant? I said, don't tell me. He said, well, they're offering me more money to be a CEO, so I don't, yeah, I don't want to work in the air conditioning anyway, you know, you're gonna have a new contact person, and I said, look, please, please, can you just, you know, pass on all the information that we have set up don't make me go through this again. Please, Mr. Bryant, you know, I'm begging you. And he said, I'll make sure they know, you know, about AA. I'll make sure they know everything we've set up. But you know how it goes around here. And so he did pass it along. And uh, it was slow going at first. You know, the woman that took over it, I already knew her. I already knew her well. And... Uh, <laughs> She was just very angry all the time. She did not care about AA. She did not care about me. My personal opinion is she knows I'm a former inmate, and she does not like that. Um, and she was just always so nasty to me. And for a few months, she was just nasty. You know, she'd meet me in the gatehouse, and she'd just look at me, and I was all happy, and she'd be like, why is your face like that? You know, like she was rude. She was very rude. Uh, and I would just be like, what do you mean? You know, happy to be here, Miss Wren. What's up? Uh, and she has really softened up, I will say, in the past couple of months. You know, she, while I'm in there meditating alone the past four weeks, she'll come in and, you know, she, she has a smile. I've never, I mean, she has beautiful teeth. I've never seen them because she's always scowling, you know, and she's just like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And um, she actually has really helped me, and I believe that it is that consistency. And you know, maybe it's my, you know, defiance to be as rude as they are. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm just going to be sickly sweet to these people, um, and then I'm going to leave, call someone, and just complain about it. You know, for like 20 minutes, and maybe rage cry or something. But while I'm in there, I'm going to try to keep it together. Uh, and it has really worked out in my favor. You know, she is one of the ones now that is being really helpful. Um, and she's kind of like checking in, you know. She's taking the temperature of the meeting. Like, I don't, what's going on here? Um, this girl is just always showing up, and she's always showing up in a good mood. Uh, so she will ask me a little bit here and there about Alcoholics Anonymous. So 
you know, the past few years, getting this meeting restarted has been really difficult. And thank God I only had to drive 10 minutes to go sit there and not get in for months upon months, you know, but I was willing to do that. And I was willing to meet the staff kind of where they were. And, you know, I think one of the most important things is I never go in there and say, well, such and such person always lets me do this or lets me wear jeans or lets me wear whatever or lets me take in this or that. If they say no to anything, even if it's been approved in the past, listen, I'm just like, hey, well, can y'all hold all these grapevines in here? Please feel free to, free to read them. They have jokes, you know, they have all these interesting stories. You might relate. I don't know. Like, do you want to keep them? Um, I just really try to meet them where they are and if and when I need to, I'll go above their head through the chain of command in the right way um, so that the meeting doesn't get shut down because the most important thing is that these women get a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous like I did when I was incarcerated and that I can show up and share my experience, strength, and hope with them um, so that they can in turn share it with each other. And when I'm not able to get in, they are able now to still have the meeting, which is huge. You know, they've never allowed that to happen, but they will allow them to sit in that meeting room and have a meeting because they trust those women and they trust Alcoholics Anonymous. So thank you for teaching me how to do that. Susie, thank you. Appreciate y'all uh, listening. As you can tell with cooperation, not much new. Just try to... <laughs> Do the right thing and do what's being uh, being asked of us, and consistently over a period of time, you form relationships with 